Welcome to the Catholic Leaders Podcast, where we talk with inspirational leaders and explore how faith informs leadership. I'm Carrie Robinson, a member of the board of Leadership Roundtable. And I'm Kim Smolik, an executive partner at Leadership Roundtable. Leadership Roundtable is a ministry of hope for the church, founded to promote best practices in leadership and management. We're so excited to have you join us today. So click the subscribe button and let's get started. Kim, it's so good to be with you. When we were last together, you were just about to attend the Women of the Church Conference at St. John's in Collegeville, Minnesota. And I am so eager to hear how you found that. I was delighted that you were able to attend this year. The first three times that conference took place, I was able to be present, and I was dazzled by the content, by the participants. I'm really eager to hear what you thought of it. Well, Carrie, I your presence was really missed. Many people were asking about you and were um, so grateful for your attendance in the past and the contributions that you had made. I had an incredible time connecting with so many of our friends, uh, women leaders in the church. The panel, the panelists, and the keynotes were outstanding. We had many of our friends, like uh, Dr. Kristen Kohlberg, who is at St. John's herself in the theology department, Casey Stanton with uh, Discerning Deacons, Carolyn Wu, Gloria Purvis. Many of these women have given talks at Leadership Roundtable in various forums and our summit in the past. It was great to see them. And we also had present a number of women who will be attending the Synod gathering in Rome in October as voting members, which is, as we know, a watershed moment in the church, the first time that women will be voting at a synod. And I just see this as a beautiful example of the inclusion of women at all levels of decision-making in the church uh, that we care about so deeply. That is so exciting. And I'm sure when you were there in the presence of such a panoply of potential guests for this podcast, you were keeping this podcast uppermost in mind. I was. I was. I think I made a couple invitations. Uh, and everyone who I talked to about it actually was excited. So that was really encouraging. This is a perfect setup to our guest who we had the privilege of spending time with, Dr. Kathleen McChesney, a friend to both of us, a longtime board member at Leadership Roundtable, and an incredible leader, not just in our church, but also in her previous career in the FBI, where she broke through barriers for women in leadership in the FBI. So I really enjoyed this conversation we had with Kathleen. It was remarkable. There are few people in the world who are stronger advocates for the protection of children and vulnerable adults than our own Kathleen McChesney. I mean, truly, the the church owes her a debt of profound gratitude for her leadership and her advocacy. I was really encouraged to hear about her global perspective as well on this matter. Kathleen spoke about co-responsible leadership and that the church is really shifting from a top-down leadership approach to a more flattened approach which engages 
lay leaders, women leaders, just a much wider inclusion of experts and talents and commitments that exist in our church. And not just here in the United States, but globally, and really pointed to that as a positive step for the protection of minors and vulnerable adults. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this conversation. Welcome back to the Catholic Leaders Podcast. We're happy to have you join us today in our conversation with our esteemed guest and Leadership Roundtable board member, Dr. Kathleen McChesney. Kathleen is an expert in leadership and career development, personal security, and prevention and investigation of workplace violence and child abuse, and is currently Chief Executive Officer of Kinsale Management Consulting. She has a 32-year career in law enforcement, including 24 years as special agent with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. She rose to the third highest position in the FBI as executive assistant director for the law enforcement services. In 2002, Kathleen joined the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops as the first executive director of the Office of Child and Youth Protection. She directed the efforts of church personnel throughout the United States in implementing training and compliance programs to prevent child abuse in church environments. She is the co-author of Pick Up Your Own Brass, Leadership the FBI Way, and co-editor of Sexual Abuse in the Catholic Church. Kathleen has played a critical role in the church's response to the abuse and leadership failures. She has led studies that have helped inform the steps the, the church should take to prevent future sexual abuse from moving forward, a vital part of the church's response to the crisis. Welcome, Kathleen, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Kim. Hello, Carrie. Great to be with you. Kathleen, we are so happy to have you with us today. We started this podcast to talk with leaders who contribute to the health and vitality of the church and who have been instrumental in shaping our faith, sometimes in unrecognized ways. You have been a leader for the past 20 years in guiding how the church has responded to arguably the worst crisis it has faced. And before that, you served as a leader in a very male-dominated field at a time when women were not often welcome. I think our listeners would love to hear the story of your path to leadership. Would you be able to tell us how you got involved in law enforcement work Sure, Carrie. I was very fortunate to find out somewhat early in my career the thing, the things that were of interest to me and the way that I could contribute to a mission that was bigger than making money or myself, and that was to do some sort of public service. And law enforcement appealed to me because I knew some people who were working in law enforcement and they were doing not only interesting things, but things that made a difference in people's lives every day, even little things like responding to uh, a call from a, a, a deaf family who, who were experiencing some difficulties. And those kinds of things appealed to me. And I went to to work first after I graduated from college uh, for the King County Police and 
in Seattle. And I was a detective and a police officer. And then after seven years of that, I became an FBI agent. And after 25 years in the FBI, I had many uh, experiences within the organization, including leadership positions. That led me to the Bishop's Conference uh, in 2002, when the Boston Globe did their investigation, their spotlight investigation, highlighting the incidents of abuse of children in the uh, by perpetrated by Catholic clergy, um, not only in Boston but around the country. And because of my experience, I'm sure dealing with sex crimes and criminal investigations, and also having been a leader in the FBI, the Bishop's Conference asked me if I would come and help them set up programs, policies, uh, and procedures to help them implement the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People. And so in, at the end of 2002, I left the FBI and went to work for the Bishop's Conference as the first executive director of the Office of Child Protection. Remarkable. Uh, We have have often told people of your incalculable contribution to the church in the United States. Uh, Perhaps more than any other person in this time period, you have contributed to uh, calling it to greater levels of accountability and transparency. Um, the fact that you're a woman is a particularly important and elegant element to this, I believe. So Kathleen, um, thank you so much for sharing about that journey. What comes to mind for me is just a curiosity about your discernment process to say yes to that invitation to open that office at the USCCB at that really um, critical time in our church's history? I've often been asked that question that that you just asked about whether or not there was um, a a strong faith component uh, that that led me to make the decision to go to work for the Bishop's Conference. And while that was uh, somewhat a part of my decision making, the more important thing for me at the time was the fact that there were young people who had been abused, and I wasn't even certain that there weren't young people still being abused within the church. So my my focus was really more secular uh, in the sense that, you know, I'd come from a law enforcement background, you know, over 30 years of that experience before I went to the Bishop's Conference. And I also wanted to, to make certain that I didn't uh, mistakenly conflate church with the wrongdoing of some of the members of the church, because those are different things. The faith is is much different from what was going on in these horrible incidents that had taken place over the past, the previous 50 years or so, or longer. Thank you for that. And I, you know, I, I think about what you just shared and think about the um, the care for all the members of the body of Christ, all the members of our church, and how that is is an element of our faith, and how you displayed that, even if that might not have been your in in your mind a, a, a driving reason, um, it certainly is an important one that you've modeled for us. Well, thank you for that. 
And as the inaugural director of child and youth protection, you led the creation of the policies that have been in place for many years now to prevent abuse and address the leadership failures that allowed the abuse to happen. You've also, much to our great joy, been a vital member of our board of directors, helping shape our own work to promote transparency, co-responsibility, and accountability within the church. What are some key lessons you learned and that our church learned on that journey? There are many lessons that have been learned and continue to be learned each and every day about uh, how the church operates within the United States, uh, even more globally, uh, the differences that exist. But some of the key lessons about leadership are that in prior decades, the leadership was very much top down. And at least in the last 20 years, and maybe even before, I saw that responsibility was was shared uh, much flatter. I found that there were a lot of, of um, men and women, lay men and women, who were involved in not only uh, the temporal aspects of the church of church management, but also in the in the ministries, uh, whether it's a music ministry or um, a youth serving ministry, what, whatever it might be, there were lots and lots of women who were involved in in these uh, important roles. And I was surprised to learn the number of women who were chancellors, who were vicars, who were canon lawyers, who were really making a difference, but they were behind the scenes, I think, in previous years. They uh, certainly weren't, um, you know, tooting their own horns or or really out there in a lot of ways. But um, that was one lesson I learned, that there was a lot more going on that people didn't realize in terms of uh, shared responsibility. Now, that said, that, that top-down management style of previous decades, that, that is all flattened, uh, not all flattened, but, but flattened to, to a great extent. And I see a lot of um, partnerships, professional partnerships between church leaders and uh, women who who bring such tremendous gifts and commitment to working for the church. So that is one of the, the great lessons that, that has been learned. The other, another lesson that has been learned is that there are lots of opportunities for people to uh, educate or become educated in various aspects of church management. There are, are programs at, throughout the country at various universities um, and other places where people can learn about best practices in church management. And I will put in a shout out to the Leadership Roundtable because for the past 15 years or longer, the Roundtable has been providing educational opportunities in terms of summits and seminars and podcasts like this that help people to learn about better ways of providing church services with limited resources, frankly. The church is not the um, the big vault that a lot of people seem to think it is. And so it takes a concerted effort. And, it, and the last point to that is not just 
persons who participate in paid ministries, but the hundreds of thousands of volunteers throughout this country, many are women, but many are men as well, who give of their time and their talent to work for the church uh, to provide services that um, in other settings would have to be paid services. Kathleen, you've mentioned um, some of the ways a leadership roundtable is contributing to the conversation, and certainly you've been part of that. Recently, or in 2022, at our Catholic Partnership Summit, um, you served on a very inspiring panel of women leaders um, and had the chance to shine some light on the ways that women are currently living out leadership in the church, both sort of in official leadership roles as well as unofficial leadership styles and roles that are contributing to the health and vitality of the church. What have you seen change when it comes to who is at the leadership table, but even more so, how can we contribute to building the structures of co-responsible leadership um, that where women are not just welcomed, but also invited and sought out? Thank you for those two questions. Uh, who is at the table is changing. Uh, I, I see it during my work with churches, uh, not, not just Catholic churches, but occasionally working with other uh, religious organizations. And, it, you know, it's a wonderful thing to see that happening. I think it's kind of organic in a way, um, although I often see a, some a church leader who is a man who who recognizes that there needs to be diversity in many ways, including gender diversity, and has encouraged that. Um, and that leads into the second part of your question, which is, you know, how, how do church leaders get that diversity? How do they, how do they bring women in? And they have to be very thoughtful about it. They have to take a look at, you know, what their leadership structure looks like and where are the opportunities. They have to do uh, networking. They have to uh, recognize uh, the talent that's around them. Sometimes the talent is there and people just need to be asked to step up. Uh, likewise, uh, for, for women or anyone really who wants a leadership position in the church, they have to make their their interests known, uh, and they have to, you know, be educated about certain aspects of the church that are unique to management, um, and they have to be willing to, um, you know, be committed to that. And I've rarely found a person that's working within the church that's not committed to, to the faith and to making a better. Uh, better structures for everyone, better environments, uh, and a more comfortable, caring, and welcoming church. I mean, I hear you speaking a lot about intentionality. There's real intentionality around inviting people into leadership or pa helping pave the way for uh, the representation of our church in leadership, official leadership positions, to really match what uh, the church looks like uh, across the United States, um, which is, again, a topic that we um, were able to address uh, at the 2022 Catholic Partnership Summit. And you sh you did a, an, a really incredible job shedding light on um, particularly 
the importance of women's leadership at that critical time in 2002 when you entered the Bishops' Conference and how um, the, the style and the approach of the women that you worked with really helped set up success um, for the protection of, of children and vulnerable people. Could you share a little bit more about that uh, for our listeners here? Sure. The one uh, important thing that I found uh, when we were trying to implement throughout the country the various policies uh, for the protection of children and holding uh, offenders accountable uh, was that much of the work was being done by, by women already. Um, and, and that might be part culture, just general culture, too, that when you are involved with things involving children, uh, historically, a lot of those roles and responsibilities have fallen to women, which is that's, you know, I, I, there's no judgment to be made there. It just is how, how I found it. And I think that women who were we're not the offenders in this in this scenario the the the, the clerics we were talking about clerical uh, sexual abuse uh, there are unique perspectives that women bring to caring for children that these offenders did not have the offenders did not have have empathy they uh, were often narcissistic they were often very rigid in a clerical type structure. And women being more nurturing, I think, um, were able to see just what, would, what was happening to these boys and girls who were being abused, how their lives were changed often and upended and the harm that was done and, and how that impacted the children you know, over the, the course of their their youth and sadly, you know, into their adult, some, for some of them, into their adult lives. So the finding women involved in the, in the process of protecting children was uh, actually a very good thing. Kathleen, largely because of your leadership and that of your team and the 20 years of implementing the recommendations and the policies, following up with auditing dioceses, et cetera, one could argue that the safest place anywhere in the world right now for a child to be is in the church in the U.S. Looking globally, can you comment on measures that are being taken now that we clearly recognize this is a global challenge that has the attention in a very serious way of Pope Francis? That's an excellent question in terms of what, what is going on globally. And one only needs to look at a Catholic newspaper or newsfeed to see the kinds of things that are, are going on uh, in all, all continents, all parts of the world, uh, where cases that have occurred over the past 50, 60 years or even longer have, are finally being cataloged, are finally being addressed, where there's accountability, uh, particularly in Europe in re the, the last eight or nine years, you've seen a lot of cases uh, involving um, clerics uh, ranging from, you know, uh, 
new priest to a cardinal recently in France uh, who has stepped aside because of an uh, abusive act that he perpetrated uh, many years ago on a, a female minor. So these cases have been going on uh, the, the United, everywhere. The United States is not unique in that regard. Uh, what has happened, um, particularly since uh, during the Pope Francis's leader under his leadership, is there has been a, a greater focus on the work of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors. And what is encouraging to me is that uh, within the next year, that that commission is going to provide an annual report, the beginnings of an annual report, first one, to the public uh, about the problem uh, as it exists throughout the world, uh, as much as you can, can quantify it and know it and evaluate it. And they're also going to talk about the programs that have been implemented since about 2011, when uh, all of the Episcopal conferences were directed to have child protection programs uh, within their conferences and to start addressing these matters. It's difficult though, and I, I think it's important to point out that every country is different and unique in terms of its laws, in terms of its culture, and the way that child protection is um, carried out and the way the laws are established and enforced. So you, while we have best practices, we think in the United States and the number of cases of abuse uh, have gone down considerably and the church um, ministries are a wonderfully safe place for um, children and young people. That doesn't mean that that, that exists throughout the world, that, th that those levels of safety exist throughout the world. The Gregorian University in Rome has a wonderful program uh, for child protection uh, officials throughout the world. The USCCB, the Bishops' Conference here in the United States, has certificate programs for child protection officials. There continues to be a lot of energy and resources and time going into making continuing to make the church a better place, uh, not, not just here, but, but around the world. So I'm very encouraged by that. These things do take time, and uh, we're often uh, on, on you, what I call U.S. time, where the problem is identified and an answer is quickly mm -hmm. uh, developed and then quickly implemented. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, the same time pressures around the world, but we're hopeful that there will continue to be um, transparency as this report that's expecting that next year will uh, begin to show on a global level. Kathleen, you have such a global perspective as you've just illustrated. You've, you've seen really um, the impact and the realities of abuse on every level. Um, and in many, many different places in the world. Um, and just getting to work with you these years, I know you are a person that both keeps your feet on the ground of practicality and also is able to maintain hope and uh, a forward vision. And I'm wondering, um, 
you know, how do you remain hopeful despite some of the ups and downs that you see? And what is your advice for leaders who struggle with remaining hopeful um, and feel, um, you know, sometimes paralyzed by that or, um, you know, lacking energy for long-term change? What advice do you have um, for for our our leadership of, of all kinds in the church? Even from the very beginning of addressing this crisis within the church in 2002, uh, there were moments uh, uh, from everyone with everyone involved of uh, being tired and discouraged that uh, you know the the problems were so big and and there were so many cases. Uh, it's good to refocus uh, not on the people that are trying to solve the problems and make them better, but to refocus on the boys and girls, the men and women who were abused. Uh, these are people whose lives. Um, were changed, uh, and people who are in this, if you call it a ministry of safe environment and child protection, we all have the opportunity to help those people in very small ways. And it's good to refocus on that. There are times you have to take a break. Uh, you have to make certain that you're not becoming complacent. Uh, that's certainly the enemy of success. And we don't want that, but we want to remember that it's really not about us. It's about those people who were harmed. Uh, And it's in uh, a unique way. It's about everyone who hasn't been harmed in order to protect them from being from being harmed. Mm -hmm. Um, Issue fatigue is. a very common thing in the United States. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter if it's good news or bad news. People get tired of it after about seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make certain that we continue to find ways to educate people that are current, unique, um, and that we can reinforce why we're doing this. You know, why are we giving you another training session? Why are we doing another background investigation? Mm-hmm. Why are we doing another report? Well, it's because it's so important. It's because it's about uh, protecting people. And I, I want to mention, because I haven't already, we're protecting minors, and that is key because of their vulnerabilities. But sometimes adults are vulnerable as well. It's really important that we recognize and appreciate and not judge people who have found themselves in uh, positions where they have been um, psychologically, sexually, spiritually abused, uh, and yet they are adults because vulnerability is something that is can be transitory. You can be vulnerable one day and, and not the next, depending on your life situation. So we need to all come back around and focus on what is important. And that's having a, a good, nurturing, safe environment for everyone that's involved in church ministries so that we can, to your point, Kim, uh, continue to uh, experience and express our faith and to share the faith with those who might not have had the, the privilege and opportunity to do so mm-hmm. in their lives. Mm-hmm. 
I think our listeners have been treated to just a fraction of why you have been such an indispensable blessing to the church over these 20 years. Uh, uh, before we, we end with our final question, there's a story which may be apocryphal, I will admit that. But I recall when you were being interviewed by the bishops for this very important role, at a certain point, the bishops looked at you and said, with all due respect, Dr. McChesney, how do you think you are going to be able to manage a bunch of us gruff old men and with your quintessential gravitas, grace, and equanimity, you looked at them and said, I'm from the FBI. I am very accustomed to encountering in my work gruff old men, only they had guns. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, Carrie, for the reminder of that of that story. And um, I I would I would say that uh, I didn't. indicate that all the bishops were gruff. Uh, (laughs) Most are just really wonderful, caring, empathetic uh, people uh, whom I've had the pleasure to work with. Um, And you do have to deal with people. Um, You have to meet them where they're at and um, get to know them. And once you do, you generally can, can have so much success. Amen. So our final question for you, um, we, we ask this of all of our guests on our podcast, and we would like to end with this. What is one action that if we all did it tomorrow would help build a stronger, more vibrant church? Well, that's an, that's an excellent question. And uh, if to build a, a more stronger a more vibrant church, I think all of us need to take a step back and ask ourselves, are we being uh, good to one another? Are we being civil to one another? There is a lot of polarization on issues within the church that that are uh, extremely important issues. I think we have to understand that we are not always going to agree on every aspect of the faith. But one thing we should be able to agree on is that we treat each other with love and with respect. Mm. And if we do that, uh, we will model for others uh, one of the core values of our faith and why people should continue to embrace it. Beautiful. So Kathleen, we are so grateful for you giving your time today to speak with us. And before we go, can we um, uh, let our listeners know from you about uh, your current work or any projects that you've been working on? Well, thank you for asking about that. We are, I work with a team of um, colleagues who have done work within the church and also in other other non-church areas, such as law enforcement, child protection, um, for the last dozen years or so. And we continue to help dioceses, religious communities, 
schools, Catholic schools, uh, as well as uh, uh, private schools, in looking at areas of risk where there might be potential for uh, abuse or harassment of employees or students. And we try to find ways to mitigate those risks. And we try to share best practices among the various uh, dioceses and religious communities in terms of child protection and training and uh, selection of people for employment as well as for for seminary. So we're we're quite busy and um, it's it's very good work because we get to work with so many uh, wonderful people who are are doing just great things out there and everyone should should know and appreciate how much work is being done by the employees and the volunteers in their churches. Well, in light of all of that good work that you're doing, we are so grateful that you um, have been serving as a member of our board, um, have become a friend, and grateful for the hour that you spent with us today, um, sharing your insights and expertise and just your your general uh, brilliance and kindness. So thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, You're welcome. Good to be with you, as always. It is always a joy to host the Catholic Leaders Podcast. A special thank you to our terrific colleagues who make this podcast possible, to our eloquent and inspiring guests, and to you, our deeply appreciated listeners. We're especially grateful for the production support of Jenna McAndrew, Leslie Rodriguez, and Kate Alexander. Original theme music by Rachel Taylor, and as always, the generous sponsors of Leadership Roundtable. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.